This, this is, is the Truth the Frequency Radio Network. We are TFR. Truth Frequency Radio. to comrades and also streamed on the pharmacy c's network youtube channel uh that's f-a-r-m-a-c-y as in let food be that medicine uh let me just check and make sure i got audio here am i on uh, youtube and all uh tfr looks good uh just wanted to welcome everyone here in the chat uh, i'm gonna try and get all the names i hope i don't miss anybody but if i do please don't take it personally uh welcome ytfp chris kirsten lee geeky gardens marie bond Vicky Savage, Les Hints, and uh, I think that's it for now. Uh, let me just check the TFR chat here, see if anybody is checking in over here. Don't know if anybody's actually even watching this show on TFR yet, uh, but I'm sure they're listening. Oh, also, we're streamed on uh, iHeart, tuned in, and TalkStream Live, live as well. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, last week's guest was. Brad Lauber from Lauber. Uh, we had an excellent conversation about uh, regenerative agriculture and soil health. And uh, we touched on some of the seed breeding process, some of the dangers and uh, concerns in our food supply. And uh, we we dived into a lot of those topics in some pretty decent detail. Uh, Brad and I have been talking since we had the show last week. And uh, Brad and I are both very interested in involving consumers directly in our conversation as we go forward so uh he and i are getting together uh in the background here and sort of orchestrating out how we go about having this conversation uh we want to uh we want to see what the consumer wants to see on their plate the only way we can really do that is talk directly to consumers so i encourage you to if you have friends who eat and i'm sure you do uh, to have them uh, come in here to Comrades and Farms and start uh, checking out our shows because uh, Brad and I went together here for this are going to have uh, what I think is an excellent conversation all around food, regenerative agriculture, the future of agriculture. And, uh, and this is a very, very, very complex topic. And if you don't believe it, uh, <laughs> let me share a link for you to check out in the meantime while we get all that together. There's a series... Uh, not a series, I'm sorry, a video from uh, 
the Soil Nutrition Conference 2018 from NOFA Mass. And I'm going to share the link here in both the YouTube chat and also in the uh, TFR chat. And uh, try and... Um, I'm sorry, I'm being distracted by the chat here. Uh, I'm going to share the link here in the uh, TFR chat as well. There we go. Uh, I encourage you to go check this out. Uh, and I'll give the title for those who are listening to this later and don't see the visual links. It's John Culture 2020 SNC 2018. That's Sierra November Charlie Soil Nutrition Conference 2018. It is an excellent discussion all around the future of regenerative agriculture and what you know what that may look like in the future. And I think if anyone has some really good insight on this, John Kemp is is the guy for it. Um, and that conversation was excellent. But Brad and I want to carry that forward in the future and bring it down to a consumer can talk to the seed producer and farmer level. And uh, for those who don't know, Brad Lauber, his family has been a hybrid corn seed breeder out in the Midwest for a long time. Uh, I think a good hundred years, maybe more. Uh, there's actually an excellent interview of his uh, father or grandfather. I think his father uh on YouTube as well. I'd have to dig that up. I don't have that right off the top of my head, but it was an excellent, just how the technology has evolved between the forties and now today here we in 2020, it's a really interesting conversation as well. Uh, well interview really, but well worth checking out. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about today, uh, speaking of advancing eco agriculture, uh, advancing eco agriculture just released a new, uh, video, a webinar today, uh, it is entitled Reversing Soil Degradation with Dwayne Beck. And that is a very enlightening conversation as well. Uh, it's more along the lines of soil, but they definitely do touch on the future of agriculture and, and all of these pieces that come together there. So it's very interesting concept to, to be thinking about. And I think our world is changing at a much faster rate than we even have the capacity to recognize and if we aren't proactive in trying to what we would like the future of our food supply and food chain to look like and what types of products we would like involved or not involved in that, we need to uh, we need to voice our opinion on that. Uh, now, most people here who have watched my show or been watching my YouTube channel, they know that, you know, I'm just a homesteader here. I have a, a small homesteading operation. I do do some limited uh, seed breeding internally. Uh, I don't sell seeds on the market, um, but I have been studying that process and all of the little eccentricities involved with that for a long time. I find that fascinating. And uh, I, I was really honored actually to have Brad Laber on last week and have a little bit more in-depth discussion about seed breeding uh, from his perspective. Um, so that's a very interesting conversation. Anyway, I just kind of want to introduce that uh, concept and idea to people. And I encourage you to, to share this with your family and your friends and, uh, and open that discussion and see where it's going. Now, I just went back and re-listened to that Soil Nutrition Conference uh, webinar from NOFA Mass. And there's some really interesting insight in there regarding uh, both robotics well, I shouldn't even just say both. I should say robotics, economics, soil health, and uh, you know, social culture as well. Um, and 
know, all of these topics are complex in and of themselves, but when you combine them into trying to look at the future of agriculture, it gets even more complex. But uh, if you look around today, uh, you know, I grew up in the 1990s, and when I was growing up, cell phones were just uh, just out, just released. It was like a new thing, you know. And at the time, I had my amateur radio license. I remember being 14 years old and getting my amateur radio license and walking around. I had a little handheld. Excuse me. I'll hold one up here for the viewers on YouTube to see. Uh, it, my little handheld radio was actually about half the size of even this radio that I'm holding up. But it was a little HT, and I had it set up with something called Auto Patch. So I could actually use that radio to make phone calls by remote control. And I remember friends walking around. And being fascinated by that, you know, simply because the cost of a cell phone at the time was incredibly expensive and your minutes were very limited and it was uh, it was a very different world cell phone wise. Now, you roll forward from 1990 to today, 30 years later, and everybody's carrying around not just a cell phone, but they're carrying around a a wireless computer device in their pocket. Well, except for me, because I don't have a cell phone, but. I'm a I'm a uh, a rare exception to the rule, shall we say? Anyway, that technology has evolved in this way that we probably could not have envisioned that even 40 or 50 years ago, and that's kind of my point. And this uh, soil nutrition conference talk that John Kemp gives is looking at the future of agriculture up into 2050, and here we are in 2020. 2050 sounds so far away to me, but I realize that hey. That's only 30 years away, and that's just like 30 years ago, except it's 30 years ahead. And the evolution of the technology and the evolution of the regenerative agricultural knowledge and the evolution of our understanding of chemicals, chemical fertilizers, our impact on ecology, the water cycle, all these other pieces tie into play. And there's a lot of other uh, pressures that kind of ride underneath this. But I think we really need to open the discussion. And I don't think this is a discussion that should be just had by farmers and scientists. I think the people of the planet deserve to have a part in that discussion. Yet to me, I was very excited. Uh, some of the topics we're going to talk about are uh, pesticides, GMOs, CRISPR technology. We're going to go into a bunch of stuff. And, and Brad has the privilege of being able to uh, invite several several top level scientists and uh and it looks like some of them uh, may come forward and have the discussion with us and uh I, you know i'm really looking forward to having this discussion in an open way and being able to ask uh open real questions with these people and uh and sort of carry on a dialogue rather than uh, i see a lot of these conversations and a lot of these documentaries and movies and videos people are uh you know, trying to take down one side and, and build up another side. I don't think that's the appropriate perspective to approach this from. I think the perspective is we all have stake in the game and let's sit down at the table and discuss what we all want. When we approach things from that perspective, as humans, we all have a very similar uh, long-term goal and idea. You know, we want to be happy and healthy. We want to coexist with each other. We don't want to end up with all sorts of catastrophe and disasters, whether it's in our food systems, in our environment, uh, in our weather, in our agricultural systems, our water supply, down the list. It's, it's, uh, we all have a lot in, more in common than uh, we're sometimes divided by. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I guess I'll just 
you know, say that, that I think that should probably apply to the elephant in the room today, being it is November 3rd here in the United States and it is election day. Uh, I'm not wholly unaware of that. I just, uh, I think we should uh, work together in the future from a more uh, community perspective rather than uh, being so opposed to each other's views and ideas. I think we share much more in common than we then we really recognize it. Uh, so with that, I'm just going to go ahead and check in on the chat here and see if we have any questions or comments. Uh, the chat's actually been streaming along pretty fast here. I hope I can catch up with it at a reasonable rate. Uh, and I see we've got some other people come in here too. Uh, Marie Bond, welcome. And I think I saw Gemini in here. Welcome. Good to see you guys in here as well. And what else? YTFP Chris, I think I said hello to you before, but I'm not sure. Uh, so, yeah, so that's sort of uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk about this evening. And I'd be curious to hear what some of the people in chat think about that. If there are some uh, perspectives you guys would like to propose forward um, so we could kind of carry this discussion forward on a, on a small scale. Again, uh, we're not really going to dive into this in depth until uh, Brad and I can kind of orchestrate things. But um, I think it's something that's important for people. And, and the more that you think about it, the more we'll be able to enter that discussion with a little bit more insight about what we want to come away from that discussion with. So uh, I guess uh, I guess I'll just ask them, the people here in the YouTube chat, what do you guys think about uh, about actually being able to ask scientists and seed breeders and farmers who are going to be producing your food? What do you think about being able to ask them questions directly uh, when it comes to what goes into creating that food. And I'll just check over on that. And let's see. So I'll pose that question to you. And okay, looking at the response here, uh, looks like Chris Jarvis is very nice. He likes that idea. Kristen says, uh, Nature Valley granola bars are delicious, though. Great nuts, not so much. Oh, maybe I'm missing some of the other conversation that's going on here. Ah, there we go. Uh, Marie Bond says, it would be great if we could have some input on that. So uh, I guess I I guess uh, I kind of want to like sort of use this opportunity to sort of pre-poll where the interest lies. Marie, you seem to, uh, oh, and Les uh, Hintz also seems to like that idea. And so I mentioned a few different technologies uh, that are evolving, uh, everything from regenerative agriculture to GMO to uh, new new types of uh, chemicals and also CRISPR. What do you guys think about CRISPR? Uh, that seems to be an evolving uh, technology, and there seems to be a lot of beneficial stuff coming from that, at least precursory. But I, uh, I you know... Personally, uh, but I'm, I just tend to err on the side of caution with that sort of thing. I really like the study and mimic nature tech, uh, um, concept. And so uh, when I see something like CRISPR come along, for those who don't know what CRISPR is, it's basically a gene editing technology. It's actually quite different from genetically modified organisms or GMOs. They're actually able to, to, uh, to really dial in how they go about editing those genes. I watched a video on that uh, about an hour long, I think. 
And uh, it was, I think it was with, it was an interview with the, one of the leading scientists at Benson Hill Seed. Let me see if I can find that link real quick here. I don't know if I have that quite handy. That might be buried in uh, in emails. Anyway, uh, he kind of went over the general idea of how the CRISPR technology works. And it was really interesting to see it. Uh, it sort of opened my perspective technology we could use and still be still be on the safe side of things doing it, still not be disrupting nature too much. Uh, I'm still apprehensive about that, but I have more questions I want to ask, ask before I uh, come to any decision in my head. I try to remain open-minded on things here, uh, even if they... Uh, even if they don't feel right, right off the bat. Um, uh, my friend Geeky Garden says, I get nervous anytime we start playing, start trying to play God. It doesn't always end well. And I agree with that, Geeky. And uh, I think we've seen some of the results of that with some of the GMO crops and some of the herbicides and pesticides and chemicals. And, uh, you know, I don't think all, all of that uh, all of that impact has been seen yet. I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg with that. Um, but you know, um, I, I don't, I don't know what to think on the CRISPR thing, but, uh, but so that's why, uh, we want to have people like, uh, people like scientists who are actually working with it. Like the, the guy from Benson Hill, I can't remember the, his name off the top of my head. I really feel bad not remembering, but, uh, you know, he's working with this technology right now. They're actually using it in a practical fashion. And, uh, you know, part of me is a little apprehensive because that means you're invested in it. But the other part of me means, you know, the other part of me says, well, this is a person who's actually experienced in it and really understands the technology. And I think with the technology as uh, complex as that is, I think it, I think the best way to get more information about it is to talk to people who are actually working with the technology. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, and Marie Bond, uh, is from South Africa and she has made a deal with our minister of ministers of agriculture. So I don't feel we have a voice. Well, you know, I, uh, I understand your opposition to that, but I have to say, you know, the regenerative agriculture and organic seed breeding model, I think, is going to replace a lot of that sort of stuff. So I think at some point uh, that 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 sort of technology is a bit going to become irrelevant. And that's part of why this discussion is so great, because we get to talk to pretty much the number one independent seed breeder. Well, he is the number one and possibly the only really large scale independent seed breeder in the United States. And he's the guy doing the crosses and creating the strains and making them available on the market. So at the end of the day, all of the food that gets planted has to come from a seed supplier, right? That seed has to come from somewhere. And most growers, most commercial producers aren't producing their own. We basically have the opportunity to talk directly to the person creating the seed that will be used in the future in our food supply. So I, I guess I wanted to really explain why, why that's such an important uh, part of the puzzle. And I hope that helps you understand it a little bit better. And why TFP Chris says we don't, we just don't know the repercussions of any of it. I don't mind them experimenting, but it should be kept contained. What concerns me is there seems to be a little to no regulation. And actually it's interesting. You mentioned that, um, 
There is actually more regulation than even I thought there was. I, I should really dig this. Uh, what I'll do is in the description of the video here later on, I'll go back and dig up that video uh, from uh, from that webinar from Benson Hill Seed about CRISPR and how it's used and how it works. Uh, it's really enlightening about how that whole system. Yeah, and uh, you know, I want I want to say I completely agree with you, YTFP Chris, on uh, on that containment thing. I've seen that with GMOs. I've seen uh, you know GMO corn crops being grown near my near where I grow. And if you know anything about corn pollen, it can drift, you know, it can drift up to a thousand feet in the winds and actually could end up cross contaminating my crops. And that was a concern of mine uh, a couple of years ago when one of the farmers here was growing corn. I actually I actually changed my planting time to basically go around so that both of our uh, both of our corn crops would not be in pollination at the same time to avoid being contaminated by a GMO crop. So I completely agree with that. And then, uh, you know, the thing that really bothers me is the is that. You know, after contamination, then they go around and, and sue sometimes, and that that's contaminated another farmer's crops, and then you go after him for stealing your seed, like they did up with Percy Schmeiser up in Canada. If you're not familiar with that, look up Percy Schmeiser. That's a really interesting story, and I don't know if that is the norm in that industry, but it is concerning. Um, and uh, Bomber says, "Yes, Chris, containment doesn't seem to be happening." happening and they are waiting to study long-term results and repercussions before releasing their quote-unquote experiments out into nature yeah that's another issue that long-term study you know you don't know what's going to happen 10 15 20 30 40 years down the road and that's just you know on a on a direct scale if you look at the epigenetic effects as it goes down through generations it may may even be worse effects or better effects who knows but the problem is that the study hasn't been done, right? So, yeah, and that turns him. So it sounds like what you guys want to see is longer-term studies that would indicate, you know, whether long-term this works out, right? Uh, and YTFP, Chris says, as far as I'm aware, the seed is sterile, so you can't make your own, although pollen, it's a different story. Yeah, it you know, that terminator gene isn't in all of those GMO crops. Uh, I think that's a very specific set of crops, although, uh, to be perfectly honest, I'm not familiar enough to really talk on that. I haven't really studied them all that, all that closely, but I know a lot of the research that's been done, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of the research that's been done ha uh, has found that, uh, that those crop, that those crops actually change the biology of the soil in a negative way, they actually uh, change the soil biology into more of a degenerative style and more of a disease, uh, disease, uh, not disease suppressive soil, but disease enhancing soil is what I'm trying to say. But uh, very, very interesting. Uh, I see Mercurius Dalvidinius just came into the chat. So welcome, Mercurius. Good to see you in here as well. Let me just check on the time here and see where we're at time-wise. Oh, wow. We're only uh, three minutes out from the break already. Boy, this goes fast. And uh, Les, his, Les Hint says, a lot of the GMO grain we take in will grow and produce more seeds. Yeah, so they're not terminator genes, right, Les? 
I think I think they did that with certain varieties for certain reasons. Um, you know, I don't know specifically what those reasons are, but they were, you know, they didn't they didn't just go make all GMO crops as a Terminator gene. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, um, we've already started down this road of being able to patent life, and that's kind of scary all by itself. But you know, I guess we'll uh, we'll see where it all goes. I have a question here from Marconius. I said, I brought my ginger in, but one seems to be dying back for autumn winter. Is that normal? Yes, that is normal. Uh, what is your, uh, where are you in the country? I guess is what I'm trying to ask. What is your latitude or uh, growing zone? And we got about a minute and a half to the break. So I can probably still answer that question for you. Yeah, it looks like uh, Marconius says uh, GMO is scary as well. So so this will be a good conversation. We'll get to actually talk about the specifics of it and ask questions of the scientists who are working with these technologies today. And that puts a lot of the power right in the hands of the consumer here because you have the opportunity to weigh in seed producers are going to be making and uh, and what concerns you. Uh, Les says, no, nope, it was... Uh, it was uh, put in the beans or corn to keep farmers from replanting the crops that yielded well. Uh, yeah, see, that makes sense. That makes sense. If you go through the trouble of creating a patented, uh, you know, genetic crop, you want to limit the use in the market. Makes sense. And uh, so people know Les actually works with grain crops. He works at the elevators, I believe. So he, he's kind of tapped into this uh, system, you know, understanding of this system i should say i report the stream is skipping and lagging Uh oh that's never good uh looks like we're going to be headed off to the break here shortly so i will see you on the other side of the break and i will try and straighten out the skipping issue Initiating the truth frequency. This is Truth Frequency Radio. To Truth Frequency Radio with Comrades and Farms here on Truth Frequency Radio, as well as as well as the Pharmacy Seeds Network YouTube channel. That's F A R M A C Y, as in Let Food Be Thy Medicine. I apologize for the pause; a bit of an issue here on the uh, streaming end of things. Uh, also streamed on uh, Tuned In, uh, iHeart, and TalkStream Live. 
And uh, we were talking about the future of agriculture and an opportunity for consumers to talk directly with farmers and scientists about what they want to see in their food system in the future. Uh, this is sort of a precursory discussion about this. Uh, my friend Brad from Grow the Farm Up will be a lot deeper, but I kind of want to uh, field some information from people in the chat here just to get an idea how people feel about it and what sort of questions they're going to want to ask about and, um, and that sort of thing. So uh, I'm going to roll back up through the chat here and try and catch up on the chat questions or and uh, comments. Uh, YTFP, Chris, says there are different types of GMO. Technically, just seed breeding programs is GMO, but not a fan of this non not a fan of this non natural breeding. Yeah, and you know, I just want to distinguish again the difference between genetically modified organisms where they've been transgenically changed versus natural selection breeding. There is a big difference between those two. Uh, the natural selection thing, you're actually putting out those plant populations and selecting the ones you want from it and refining it down. Oftentimes, once you pick a selection, you'll go and do a back cross to stay. That's sort of a more complex conversation than I want to get into in the scope of this. But uh, it's it's definitely very different from genetically modified organisms. And I have to agree with uh, YTFP, Chris. I'm, I'm not a fan of this non-natural thing. And we're starting to see some of the negative effects of that here in our, in our food supply and in our soils, both. Um, sort of a degenerative agricultural model instead of a regenerative agricultural model. So let me just scroll down the chat here a little bit and uh, see what else is going on. <laughs> Control, I'll delete and close out any Java updates and programs in the list. Yeah, I already, I killed all the excess programs, YT, but thanks for the heads up. <laughs> and uh, hello, Jem. I did. Uh, I think I did say hello to you. Maybe I'm way behind in chat. Oh, one pollination is here. Good to see you here. Two uh, GMO, uh, CRISPR, and chemicals. And what do you think about the future of agriculture? <laughs> How's that for a short and simple question? <laughs> and Bomber says, "Would love to hear from scientists and farmers about their own concerns." They know much more on the subject than myself and aware of not only the issues at hand, but the steps to take remedy issues. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, Bomber. That's an excellent comment. And we actually talked a little bit about that last week. And, uh, you know, Brad from Grow the Farm, Brad Lauber, has a little bit different perspective than many of the farmers that I've run into or that I've heard talk. They seem to be sort of, well, the consumer doesn't know anything about farming, and so they shouldn't have a voice in it. And while I understand that sentiment from a farmer's perspective, because there it is, there's a lot of complex information you have to know, a broad range of topics to be an effective farmer. At the same time, who are you delivering to? Who's your customer? You know, if you go and talk to the sales rep guys, they'll tell you, oh, the customer is always right. The customer is always right. Well, if that's true, why aren't you asking the customer what they want? I mean, you know, I'm playing... Uh, devil's advocate here on it but i think these are uh, good concepts to think about and uh and maybe it'll open some minds to uh turn some gears that haven't turned in a while or or maybe they never turned <laughs> or maybe they've been turning and they just haven't been talking about it and geeky garden says i'm not sure i know enough to ask intelligent questions but i would love to listen and learn hey uh you know 
I've studied a lot of this stuff for a long time, and, I, and I'm not sure I'm qualified to ask intelligent questions either, Geeky. That's why I'm kind of going to be the moderator. I'm going to let uh, I'm going to let Brad be able to kind of interface, you know, the consumer and the scientist, because Brad's doing this, doing seed breeding and farming on a practical level. He's involved in regenerative agriculture, so he understands those concepts and how they tie into it. He understands large-scale regenerative agriculture, which admittedly is not my forte. Uh, you know, again, I'm here on a small homestead. I've studied uh, many of those large-scale techniques and scaled them down to adapt to my farm, and that's been really effective and really productive and really rewarding. But I've certainly am not. You know, I'm not well versed in large scale agriculture or what it takes to make that happen. Um, I was listening to that interview with Brad's father and uh, he was talking about all the different pieces of uh, of farming seed breeding back in the day. One of the things he mentioned was uh, in, in order to uh, breed hybrid corn, you basically you breed two different types of corn, the tassel of the one corn of the uh of the female plant, the plant you want to be the female, you eliminate the tassel off of that and you let the pollen come from the other strain onto that plant. And so part of that process is going through those fields and eliminating tassel. He was talking about, they pulled, uh, I think it was 40, I think it was 45 buses of people with 40 to 45 or 50 people on board each bus every morning during the season when they had to go do that out in the field by hand. And this ties back into the technology thing. And now, today, that's all done by machine. Brad's driving along in a high boy that detects where the where the corn tassel is and makes the cut. And he just rolls along through the rows, making those cuts as appropriate. So it's a very different style of doing things. But when you think about that, think about the labor that was involved in doing that back in the 1940s. Bussing in that morning to do that job, to go out in the field and... and cut specific tassels off of corn plants like it's it's very different world already just from that perspective all right i'm gonna go and uh catch up on the chat here again for a minute uh one pollination says terrifying on gmos and crispr i think i think the future is in smaller scale farms interesting you mentioned that uh one poly uh i did I did pick that up in that soil nutrition conference video I mentioned earlier in the in the stream here, and uh, that was that that was something that that came out and uh, interesting. They were even talking about how a big part of the Midwest may transition over to different types of farming as uh, as the grain crops and that market changes. You know, one of the things that ties into this uh, so crucially is our international trade. And I know Brad can talk nicely on that, but it's interesting how much of an effect that has. A lot of the markets, uh, you know, are driven by countries outside the United States for what they want, for what their demand is. So this is a really complex discussion, but it's it's going to be really cool to kind of peel back the onion layers and kind of kind of hash it all out. Marconius Delvinius says, uh, in the future we will grow grow all out nutrients. For from nano machines and they will also take care of the other end. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's true. I'm not sure that that's true. Uh, the uh, regenerative agriculture movement has grown tremendously just in the past like seven years or so since I've been, you know, directly involved and aware of it. And, uh, you know, I know that nano machine technology is evolving rapidly, 
but I don't think we need to rely on that for that. But it is interesting how that how this technology can affect, um, you know, direct delivery and that sort of thing. One of the things that was talked about in that soil nutrition conference was um, how farmers were talking about how much time and energy it takes to go and do a farm stand every weekend and, uh, you know, how things that like sort of like the Uber system works things like that are going to kind of evolve into the agricultural market for local farmers. And that frees up a lot more time for those small scale local farmers to be on the farm, farming the food. People are always asking me, why don't you go get a farm stand? And it's like, well, first of all, there's a cost of setting it up, at least in my area. It's actually quite expensive to, to go and be part of one of these farmer markets. There's quite a fee. And then on top of that, that means I have to be there every weekend with produce and if I'm there every weekend with produce operating as one person, well, that's at least two days out of the week that now I can't focus on producing that produce. So that's a big part of why my model has stuck with dealing with restaurants. Now, my sales are pretty limited, my nutrients and, and make my farming operation a little more expensive for producing my own food. But, uh, you know, it's something I can definitely recognize and, and understand. Um, and Bomber says, I'm not sure what a CRISPR is, uh, means different here. <laughs> okay. Well, CRISPR is a gene editing technology. And like I said, I will share the link with that. Uh, you know, um, when the stream is complete, I'll put that in the description of this video. And, uh, I'm glad to share it with you directly Bomber, since we have direct communication available to us. Uh, but basically it's a gene editing technology, but it's very different from, uh, genetically modified organisms, uh, where they're doing transgenics. This is actually gene editing to adjust how a species, you know, interacts with the environment. Anyway, it's really interesting and, and I'm certainly not qualified to, to give a great description of that video that, uh, Brad shared with me. Now, YTFP Chris says still don't know the effects on the insects, the animals that eat those insects, soil health, and humans who consume all of the above. My main concern crops is soy and how it's showing up in everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a concern, too. Uh, and then I'm going to try and catch up on the chat next level here. Chat is moving fast tonight. Uh, Marconi says, CRISPR is a tech is a technology for gene splicing with a bacteria, I think, cut and splice. Yes, that's a pretty good simplified description of it, Marconius. Thank you. And uh, Geeky says uh, basically the same thing. <laughs> uh, YTFP Chris says botulism, although there's new techniques to, to brute force it in without the need, if I remember correctly. Oh, was that part of it? The main concern is crops in soy and how it is showing up in everything. Uh, botulism, although there's new techniques to brute force it in without the need, if I remember correctly, yeah. And uh, <laughs> Bomber's response on the ex explanation of CRISPR is, oh, interesting. Okay, thank you. Yes, that sounds absolutely very sketchy. Uh, so that was the same like gut feeling I had about it. But after watching that video, I'm 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 still on the fence about it for sure. But I'm I'm less inclined to just throw it away without examining it closer. Uh, and one pollination says vertical farming is an exciting concept too. Yes, it is. Um, at the moment, it's fairly labor intensive, but as technologies are evolving, that is probably going to change pretty dramatically. And uh, Geeky says smaller farms. Yes, we need to try to get more local. 
And I completely agree with that. Part of that transportation cost out of things, and it puts you know the farmer and the consumer in closer communication and closer pro- well closer proximity to each other, and theoretically in closer communication, and consequently you know you can you can have a better understanding of where your food's coming from and have a discussion with your farmers. And I continuously encourage people to do that. If you're working with a local farmer, ask them what their practices are, ask them how they do things, why they do things, and uh, and find out what you know what's going into your food. Uh, you know, you're just as responsible for the food that you're eating as the farmer who's producing. As far as I'm concerned, if you're not going to take the time and look into it, and not going to take the time to have that interaction and find out about it, then you know, then how can you possibly blame someone who's producing it who you haven't? You haven't voiced your opinion on what you want, right? Uh, and buy corn and wheat as well. As someone who has extreme food sensitives, it makes me wonder why. And with so many of us now reacting to the ad- these additives, why are they purposely still putting it in so many foods? Uh, these are good questions. These are good questions. And uh, Mercurius Dalvinius, is there a link between high-intensity GMO farming and growing populations in certain areas? Is there a limit? Uh, Good question. I don't know. Absolutely, Mercurius. It's the quickest way to feed the masses. Well, yeah, but we talked about that last week about, uh, you know, producing weight on a carbohydrate level or producing weight that actually has nutrients in it. And there is a huge difference between, you know, just commercially produced. If you don't care about what the density of that nutrient is, density, there's a huge difference in the quality. Uh, And I've talked about this probably ad infinitum, but I'm going to keep talking about it because I want people to really understand it. You know, those trace minerals are the basis for enzymes and they have a huge effect on the entire human system. And actually, a lot of those enzymes help support healthy endocrine systems. So, uh, you know, think about the complexity of that with the endocrine system. If you affect one little part of the system, you affect the whole system that goes to the whole human body system. At the end of the day, us humans with the right nutrition and exercise and the right, you know, exposure to light and environment, we are self-healing systems, self-regenerating self-healing systems. And, uh, you know, if we can support that, then, that'll put us all in a lot better place. And Bomber says, for some of us, many actually, it's more than a sensitivity. 99% of the disease, an autoimmune response to ingesting gluten, go undiagnosed. People don't even know. Yes, that's true, Bomber. And that's that's a huge, uh, huge part of an ongoing problem where people have leaky gut. And because they have leaky gut, they have all sorts of other human issues, uh, you know, health issues, uh, diabetes and heart diseases and all sorts of, you know, side effects that are actually direct effects. They're just slow and long term. Robert Hayes, welcome. He says there are some interesting courses at GenSpace in New York City. Some about CRISPR too. Ah, okay. Uh, maybe you could share a few of those links along the way here, Robert. I'd be curious to check some of those out as well. Uh, I want to understand that technology better myself as we're going into this conversation around it and about it. Thank you. Endless cycle until Mother Nature steps in to correct the situation. Yes, 
Yes, and she always does step in and correct the situation, doesn't she? Geeky says, I've just got a few raised beds in the backyard, and it's surprising how much I can get out of them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in a very small space with good practice, you can grow a significant amount of food. Uh, you know, it's hard to grow 100% of your food, especially in today's culture where uh, our, you know, our food diversity is so high. Like the fact that in New York, I can go to the store and buy bananas for, what is it, 99 cents a pound or something. That's like, you couldn't do that, you know, 100 years ago. And uh, let's see. Uh, Chris Jarvis says, I had too much exposure to light in my younger years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be healthy interaction. Uh, everything with moderation, right? And let me just check on the time here. Okay. Looks like we got about seven minutes before the break. And then uh, Mercurius says, uh, I'm growing cauliflower and carrots with my mom at hers. Still some green runner beans too. Feels great. Tastes great. Uh, yeah, I uh, I know I know exactly how you feel. I I love nothing more than eating food that I grew here. I've put up a few videos on my YouTube channel of of uh, you know of meals that I've cooked with stuff all fresh from the farm, and uh, it just feels so good. I I felt compelled to share it a couple of times. Uh, Bomber says, research the symptoms of undiagnosed celiac disease. And just for fun, make yourself a checklist. There's also something called silent celiac, which means you have the disease but no symptoms. So the damage. Yeah, excellent conversation about that, Bomber. That's uh, That's been an ongoing thing. And, uh, you know, and this is just one piece of the puzzle as far as uh, human health. And, you know, I think we also see a lot of... Uh, cancers and other uh, like chronic diseases that are going on. And I think a lot of those are being triggered by, uh, by food, by the food supply and not just food supply, but also uh, chemical exposure, unnatural light exposure, you know, all of these unnatural things that we're doing that make our lives so easy and comfortable. You know, how easy and comfortable is it going to be if we're really sick? Uh, how, how much does that benefit us long-term? What kind of a world do we want to leave behind for our kids and our grandkids and their great-grandkids? Uh, Robert Hayes says, for small producers, is the RICO cycle, where pre-ordered purchase made on, made on Facebook are delivered to pre-managed location, like at a convenient eve time. Uh, RICO, I hadn't heard of that. I will, uh, I will check that out. RICO on YouTube. I will check that out. Uh, that's interesting. That's kind of uh, that's kind of like the beginning edges of what uh, they were talking about, what John Kempf was talking about in the Soil Nutrition Conference about uh, something similar to Uber and that, you know, food being uh, available and delivered in a way that's easier for the farmer, easier for the consumer, and, and then that makes this local farm model much more easy to do and much more sustainable, and not just sustainable, but regenerative. Uh, and that's really what we need to be doing with with systems that are as broken as we have right now. We need to go into a regenerative direction. There's no sustaining a crashing system, right? How many people are obese now, pre-diabetic or diabetic due to super hard, high carb diet? 80% of maybe people in the hospital just ate too many carbs. Thoughts? 
Yeah, I've noticed that myself, Mercurius. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of that. And then, uh, you know, you try to talk to some of these people about it and they don't, they either don't want to hear it or they, they, uh, they just don't understand it. I, I feel like there's a cognitive distance or some kind of disconnect there. I've tried to talk to a lot of people about that. You know, people in my life that I've met who I care about, I care about their health. I want to see them healthy. I don't want to see them in a hospital. I don't want to see them doing insulin shots constantly to try and regulate their blood sugar. And yeah, at the end of the day, that's a big part of it. But, uh, you know, it's not just the carb diet. It's the carb diet with the lack of trace minerals. That's a big part of it. And then when you go and factor in the, uh, you know, the chemical component, and I don't mean just chemicals that are used in manufacturing process and packaging process, exposure to plastics, like that whole chain has multiple hazard exposure points and you know everyone can have a negative effect or a positive effect what is the combined effect of all of those when you go down that line i think i think we're starting to see some of the bits and pieces of that and it's not really all that pretty um Chris Jarvis says, I spent as much time outside as I could in my 20s and 30s. Now I have these small skin cancer bumps. I wonder if that's uh, part of that as a factor of food. Uh, people who aren't familiar, well, people who are familiar with genetics, you know, uh, that seems to be an ongoing conversation all the time. Genetics, genetics, genetics. You should look into epigenetics because gen all genetics have to be expressed in an environment. And if that environment is not beneficial gene, then that gene changes how it expresses itself. And so I think we're seeing a lot of that going on in our environment. I've seen on a, on a small scale here, I've seen the ability to shift that even just in, with crops and soil by shifting the environment and the uh, traditional nutrition and the biology available to the plants. You can dramatically shift how it all all works. Uh, YTFP said carbs are pretty natural. It's refined sugars and lack of mobility that is more of the cause. Most tribal members are very skinny and rely heavily on root vegetables and carbs. Yeah, and those carbs are are paired with fiber. It's really interesting. There was a talk from I forget who it was now, uh, but he was a leading scientist or doctor, and he was talking about how sugars by themselves uh, are bad, but if you if you pair them with the carb, like I think he was. One one example he gave us, like, you can drink orange juice, right? There's a tremendous, I, as as an EMT, that was one of our go-tos for somebody who was having a diabetic attack, or a, I can't remember which side of that is, but they're having a, sugar, a low blood sugar problem. One of the ways to bring them back quickly was give them orange juice. And uh, he was saying how the, the sugar without the, the uh, fiber to slow the sugar absorption down was a big part of the problem. And that goes back to that, you know, uh, root vegetables and, and uh, and that sort of thing. It's, you're sort of regulating how that sugar is absorbed and used. And Chris Jarvis says, "Thank God my diabetes went away when I went on keto." Yep. And uh, and Marconius says, "I agree. Complex carbs are much better than simple." Yeah. And and that trace mineral nutrition is part of that also. Let's see. We got about a minute left before the break here. Uh, and Bomber says it's so important to be properly tested for this before trying an elimination diet because you don't want to go back on gluten to be test tested properly. This is regarding the celiac disease thing. And I don't know, did I, did I, I don't think my street's fine. Okay, working now. Okay, good. And Bomber says, goes on to say, uh, the only 
whoops, the only way to treat this is to entirely eliminate gluten from the diet. And that means removing everything in your kitchen that may create a cross-contamination issue. Yeah, yeah, for sure. If it isn't handled properly, it is incredibly dangerous. Yep. And she says uh, celiac disease is hereditary as well. So if someone in your family has tested positive, then everyone in the family may be, must be screened. It's vital and blood work is not always accurate. Uh, let me just look here. We're about to go to the break. So I will see you guys on the other side of the break. Tuned into the truth to Comrades and Farms here on Streamed Live via the Pharmacy Seeds Network YouTube channel. That's F-A-R-M-A-C-Y, as in let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food. Uh, before the break, we were talking about some different technologies that are evolving here, uh, GMO, CRISPR, uh, regenerative agriculture, and the future of agriculture as it relates to human health. And we were uh, off on a whole bunch of different topics surrounding that. Uh, we talked a little bit about gluten tolerance and gluten allergies and uh, and uh, a few different things along those lines. And uh, I'm going to go back into the chat here and read a few more comments because uh, I really like I really like the feedback I'm getting from the viewers here about uh, about these topics. Uh, oh, uh, and yeah, uh, Robert Hayes was talking about fasting before the break. That's something I wanted to come back to. I says, uh, there's a Toronto Dr. Fung who has a huge discussion about fasting. Many have corrected their blood sugar levels and have gotten off diabetes medications. Fasting for health. Very interesting. Yes. And, uh, it's funny you mentioned that there's a whole, uh, 
whole new sort of uh, movement thing uh, diet-wise that people are doing something called intermittent fasting. When I first heard about it, I was uh, very surprised. Actually, Dr. Rhonda Patrick talks about it uh, in some pretty good detail. Dr. Rhonda Patrick, for those don't, who don't know, is a, uh, a leading uh, genetics and nutritional scientist. And some of the studies and, and information she's coming out with is just phenomenal stuff. Um, she goes into all sorts of things, including how to affect your health and how to affect your, uh, your actual turn on certain genes and turn off other certain genes through different pathways. One of those pathways is the NRF2 pathway, and it's affected by a compound called sulforaphane. And sulforaphane is found in the brassicas family. That's uh, kale, uh, broccoli, uh, uh, Brussels sprouts, uh, cabbage, all those sort of things. And sulforaphane has a has a huge effect. I think it was as little as 100 grams of sulforaphane a day or 100 grams of, uh, of any of those a day actually can directly affect the NRF2 pathway and change how your body processes sugars and turn on uh, positive genes and turn off disease genes. So that whole area of interest is, uh, or that whole area of study is really interesting. Uh, I want to uh, pick up his other comment here. It says, uh, Mercurius, the usual situation maybe with fasting every hunting day in those Paleolithic times, the 16 hours fasting, many tries testing with blood sugar levels. Think many can have discipline. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really interesting thing. Uh, it's funny when I heard this whole uh, intermittent fasting thing, I kind of laughed because I've been eating only one meal a day for probably 20 years. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I find I don't I don't get uh, blood sugar crashes. I don't get uh, well. I should back up because I was starting to get some blood sugar crashes and I think I was becoming pre-diabetic until I started cutting out some of the more refined carbohydrates and sugars. And I have to tell you, it took uh, about a week of restraining myself from those cravings for those. But once I accomplished that, man, those blood sugar cravings and those blood sugar lows started to go away. I would find my first, I get kind of, uh, you know, frustrated really easily and uh and aggravated and then i would feel my blood sugar drop and i'd start to get a little bit lightheaded and since i've eliminated those refined carbs and sugars on some level that has really shifted a lot and that's that's been a really positive thing and but i think i i had a, an advantage on that standpoint just because i do what is basically an intermittent fasting thing uh, integrated in my diet into my diet and I didn't even know I was doing it I just it was just naturally how I ended up eating and living and um, so for those who don't know intermittent fasting I think is uh, 16 hours a day you don't you know you don't eat anything for 16 hours and then I think the other eight hours you can eat basically whatever you want provided you don't you know obviously within limits you know like you you don't just go out. It's probably not your best, not in your best interest. But uh, really interesting how that affects your whole uh, blood sugar cycle and your whole um, your whole system. Uh, Bomber makes a very good point here. There, uh, there is gluten intolerance, gluten sensitivity, and celiac disease. 
The other two are just a disturbance in your comfort. But celiac disease is life or death. This is not, not an allergy. It's an autoimmune response. Yeah, that's where your immune system is attacking itself effectively or, uh, or heightening its own response. And it ends up responding against itself, basically. And Les Hint says, I usually only eat once a day. And my doctor actually said that that was great. All my numbers came back almost perfect. <laughs> Funny you mentioned that, Les. I hadn't been to a doctor in probably 10, maybe up until uh, not this spring, but the spring before I, I uh, finally qualified for a medical insurance program. And I went to the doctor and he took my my uh, my heart rate. You know, he basically did a full checkup on me. And he's like, wow, uh, I'm surprised for a smoker that you're as healthy as you are, that your heart rate is where it's at. You know, what are you doing? And I told him about the nutritional foods that I eat and my eating practices. And, and he was, uh, he was impressed. So it was, uh, kind of funny to see that response. I guess he doesn't get a lot of those, but yeah, uh, it's amazing what that can do just by itself. Uh, and Chris Jarvis says, uh, I try to eat once a day myself. And Mercurius says, yes, when I was on keto, I hardly felt hungry. Hardly even more than one meal a day. Unfortunately, I've been drinking too much beer lately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> and Les Hid says, when I eat, I eat like a fat guy at a buffet. I drink a lot of beer during the summer. but tend to drink more whiskey rum in the winter. Interesting. I don't drink much alcohol. Uh, I, you know, I just, it's not my thing. And I, uh, I don't, I don't have a craving for it. Once in a while, I'll have a beer or a mixed drink if I'm at somebody's house or at a party or something, and you know it gets offered. I I do like to have one once in a while, but it's not something I do much of. But yeah, I do the same thing. Les, when I, you know people look at me, I'm a I'm a pretty skinny guy, and uh, people look at me and they think, oh, you know, you you must not eat enough. And I get comments like that all the time. Eat some more, put on some weight, and it's like, no, I'm I'm healthy, I'm okay. But uh, what they don't realize, and, and I've seen the look on people's faces when they've been around me, when I do eat that one meal a day, I put away a ton of food. And, uh, you know, I make up for it when I eat. I eat really well. Go check out uh, my recent video, Fresh from the Farm uh, Food. You'll see uh, you'll see it's a large frying pan with steak and potatoes and uh, uh, squash and tomatoes and corn and like you know it's a big frying pan it was probably two and a half pounds of food and i put that away in one meal that's like that's nothing for me <laughs> so yeah i'm the same way when i eat i put it down and then i don't eat the rest of the day and i don't need to and i'm not hungry i don't miss it um you know i have a couple of cups of coffee a day maybe that's a factor too but uh it's it's nice oh and Robert Hayes says, so and NRF2 pathway. So you're harvesting brassica seeds for making sprouts. Many are rich in the sulfur compounds. Growing and cleaning winnowing seeds is a great skill and uh, technical technique or practice. And brassica seeds for making sprouts, no. Uh, that is a massive project, <laughs> to be honest, on a, on a hand scale. Uh, in fact, I, I want to get back to growing brassicas, but I have some fencing upgrades that I have to do before I'll be able to keep the woodchucks and other critters out of my brassicas. I planted them several years prior to this year, and uh, 
and thought I was able, going to be able to protect them and I was unable to protect them. And there's nothing more disappointing than, you know, going through the trouble of starting a seed crop, getting it up to a nice, healthy seedling, planting it out and then watching something desecrate it overnight. Um, so no, but, uh, I do want to get back to that and I do try to incorporate brassicas into my, uh, into my food. And you're right. Those sulfur compounds are amazing. It's funny. One of those same, uh, the same sulfur compound seems to be a pretty giant limiting factor in roots today. In fact, even here on my farm, uh, I found that working with calcium sulfate, which is also known commonly as gypsum, I've been able to have huge gains in uh, opening up the soil here on the farm and making it more uh, alive and robust and flocculated. And uh, we've tremendously changed the soil structure between uh, some biology applications and some uh, calcium sulfate. And a big part of that process is the sulfur in that. If you go back to that biochemical sequence of nutrition in plants, uh, how does it go again? It's uh, I think it's silica activates boron, which binds with calcium. Anyway, the sulfur uh, when you get over to the nitrogen part of that process, that nitrogen has to have sulfur in the right ratio in order to form amino acids to go on and form proteins. So uh, a lot of those same uh, bio may work differently in the human body, require the same nutrients to to carry on those processes, that same thing with creating proteins and all. Um, Mercurius says, have you guys watched Fathead? Uh, a guy does the opposite of superset, does the opposite of supersize me, eats fast food every meal, but less than 20 grams of carbs a day. No. Interesting. Uh, could you tell us, uh, uh, just briefly what the, what his results were with that? Because, uh, I'm not even sure I saw the entirety of supersize me, but I kind of read the summary of it and I was like, well, that's pretty much what I'd expect. Uh, but no, I'd like to hear more about that. And uh, YTFP Chris says that both caffeine and nicotine suppress the appetite. So that might also be a contributing factor. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, who knows? Maybe I'm suppressing my appetite more than I should be. But, you know, I, my weight has stayed the same since I was, I don't know, 18. And uh, and even when I even when I was working out hard, the only way I was able to actually gain any weight. I think I gained like 10 pounds and I worked out really hard every day on top of working for a surveyor on top of doing missing persons work and doing field searches and hiking and all this kind of stuff. The only way I was able to gain any weight was when I started working out really hard and really packing on uh, protein really hard. And even then I was only, only able to gain like five or 10 pounds. Uh, <laughs> and Les says, ah, so the pack of smokes and two pots of coffee a day at work in my favor then. Uh, as far as suppressing appetite, yeah. Uh, Les, if you can, pick up some fresh roasted coffee. You'd be amazed how much better that is for you. Uh, a lot more available uh, polyphenols and flavonoids. It uh, has a huge effect on the coffee. Uh, that uh, older dead coffee that we find in the store that, that so many people are drinking is not not as good for you as like a fresh roasted local coffee. I know it can be hard to find a local supplier here uh, in Red Hook. I'm fortunate enough to have JB Peel and those guys are fresh roasting on a daily basis. So I can go in and get fresh roasted coffee. And when I say fresh roasted coffee, I mean coffee between 11 and 72 hours old, preferably and no more than one week old. And uh, 
I try to I try to maintain coffee that's a a week that's fresh within a week or less here. Although you know there are times I run out of money and I have to go between, but uh, very very big difference in that. I also wonder less uh, with your smokes. Are you smoking uh, over the counter cigarettes or are you buying tobacco and making your own cigarettes? Because I did notice a huge difference uh, in health and energy and all that kind of stuff when I switched from the over the counter on tobacco and making my own cigarettes. Also, it dropped the cost tremendously. Uh, and I'm going to go back and read uh, a little bit more about Bomber's story here. Uh, she says, uh, by the way, celiac disease is a separate test. My doctor told me my numbers were good as well, besides my vitamin D being low, but I had terrible symptoms and felt my body shutting down. Knew there was something wrong, but doctors were telling me I was fine. Trust your instincts because now things don't look as great as they did when my body was hiding this. Yeah, and I, I'm going to second that sentiment. Listen to your body. Listen to your body. Your body's telling you something. You need to listen to it. She says, finally, they were testing me for cancer, and that is how they discovered I had celiac disease. It shouldn't be this difficult for people to be tested. It's ridiculous. How many people are dying early unnecessarily from the sure bomber? That's uh uh, you know, there's a lot of that going on, the misdiagnostics or the not understanding the situation. Uh, you know, another part of this is doctors not being able to spend the time with the patients. You know, if a doctor spends only 10 or 15 minutes with you and you're out the door, how much insight can he actually have on all of the pieces that affect the biological system that is your body? It's really important to to really have a good understanding of of the ecosystem on which your patient is surviving so to speak in other words you know what are they eating what are their exercise practices uh, you know on top of what they're eating what is the source of the food that they're eating what sort of sunlight exposure are they getting what sort of uh, air and water are they getting i mean just water just getting bad water can have such a tremendous negative effect on your body and and on the flip side conversely just getting really good water can have such a tremendous effect on your health. Find a spring.com and see if you can find a local spring in your area. Also, on the paranormal portal, although this may seem like a paranormal place for me to show up, uh, back in early May, we did uh, a, uh, I went on as a guest and we talked about water and water quality and some of the eccentricities of that. You may not be aware of it, uh, but uh, water. Uh, Water is not just water. Water is a very complex topic. And uh, you should check out Dr. Masaro Emoto on that. It's a whole documentary on water and the structure of water. He did some really interesting experiments on that. And also you should go and check out the Paranormal Portal where I was on as a guest, uh, Health and Spirituality of Water, I believe the episode is called. Uh, and that was a really good discussion with my good friend Brent Thomas over there. We really kind of drilled down into some of the details of 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 water and um, and how you can go about trying to ensure that your water supply is better. Remember, we're seventy to ninety percent water, you know, so that's like really the basis. Les says uh, nothing like that around me. I usually roll my own or smoke my pipe, but occasionally I pay for a pack or two when I don't have time. Okay. Uh, well, you know, you could take that pipe tobacco and make your own cigarettes with it. They make uh, rolling machines. Those are pretty handy. Just a thought or suggestion. 
And Marie Bond from in, in South Africa, she put in a request to see her doctor and she's waiting to get a response back now. Hello, Black Tree. Welcome to the chat. Good to see you in here. <laughs> Black Tree says, how did the astrologer cross the road? He drove his Taurus. <laughs> uh, Chris Jarvis says, my wound doc cuts on me for 15 minutes and sends me off. That doesn't sound like a pleasant experience, Chris. Curious what he's, what is he cutting? I've heard you mention this a couple times. Like, is he, is this an ongoing wound issue or, or uh, are these cancerous or alleged to be cancerous growths that he's cutting off? I'm just curious. That sounds like a traumatic experience to go through on the, on sort of a regular basis, and then you know, fifteen minutes and see you later. It's uh, a strange. I'm I'm not sure what to make of that. No, every Thursday. Wow. Oh, wow. That's not fun. Wow. Ongoing ulcer on your foot since 1988. Oh. Huh. Uh, I have a comment here from Robert Hayes. Ivan Illick wrote about iatrogenic ailments, those caused by treatment. Ah, yes, are one of the largest causes of disease and biggest mortalities too. Medical Nemesis might be title of his book about this. Very interesting. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of. Uh, I don't know. I think it's. I think. Well, I think it's a really complex issue, but I see a lot of that too. I see a lot of people who uh, who could who could improve their health if they approached it correctly. But you know, they go to their doctor and they get prescribed something, and then next thing they know, they got to go back with new symptoms, and then they prescribe something for those, and they kind of go down this much like uh, what's been happening in our soils over the past fifty or hundred years with the chemicals. You know, you uh, you start out with a chemical for one thing, and then you have to uh, you have to put another chemical on because now there's another problem and then you put another chemical on and now there's another problem. And next thing you know, you're down this degenerative pathway and you're just dumping more and more chemicals in and you're not, you know, you're not making progress. You're falling backward. Your yields are dropping and that kind of thing. I see that in the, in the human system as well. Les says, I have a machine, a bag of tobacco tubes. When I don't have time to roll, I buy a pack. I buy the fancy tobacco for my pipe, either Prince Albert or half and half. Ah, uh, yes, I have a machine and uh bag tobacco tube for mine. That's uh, that's how I do it. And I've actually been cutting back on my smoking more and more lately. And people always ask me, uh, you know, why don't you just quit? I doesn't want to quit. I should want to quit, but I don't. Marie says she was dismissed by her other doctor and now she's approaching a different doctor. Wow, that's uh, that's never fun. Ah, yes. 
Bomber says, one day I hope doctors will screen for celiac disease at the first mention of symptoms. We aren't sick because we are lacking in their chemical medications. Something is causing it. Get to the bottom of it. Yeah, yeah, very well said, Bomber. You don't have a chemical deficiency. You have an actual issue. And if you can get to the root cause of that issue, you can address it. Same thing in soils. Uh, you don't have a uh, you don't have a glyphosate deficiency. Well, that's not a good example because that's an herbicide. But you know, you don't have a deficiency in pesticides that it's causing your bug problem on your soils. You know, you have a soil deficiency that's causing a sick plant, and then the bugs are attacking the sick plant as they were designed to do. Insects are nature's garbage collectors, and fungi are her cleanup crew. The insects come in to take out the sick plants. And then the fungi clean up what's left from that. So, and Bomber's right. Take your health into your own hands and learn from her experience and many other people's. And, uh, you know, taking your health into your own hands seems counterintuitive for people. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, ask your doctor this, ask your doctor if that's right for you, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, you should be a, a dialogue with your doctor about your health and trying to get to the bottom of it yourself, choose yourself as well. Uh, you know, you're just as responsible as your doctor and to pawn it off on your doctor and then be upset that your doctor doesn't fix the problem is, is kind of a silly model when you really think about uh, the deeper side of it. Colin Seiss from Australia called it a moron system where the solution to the agriculture problems is just to put on more fertilizer, lime, etc. He's got an interesting story for sure. That was Robert Hayes' comment. Colin Seiss from Australia. I'll have to check him out too. I'm not too familiar with him. I've uh, I've seen a few uh, you know uh, videos and documentaries from Australia, and they really seem to have uh, a pretty good jump on us from a regenerative agricultural perspective, especially when it comes to the rotational grazing. Uh, they're you know they're quite a ways ahead of us on that. Um, but I'm not familiar with him, and I'll have to check that out too. It says, Mercurius Mercur says, in the 1800s, the British transported vast amounts of bone meal, human bones, some, to grind up and use as fertilizer. Oh, yeah, for the calcium and uh, phosphorus and potassium and all those traces that are in the, in the bone mineral matrix. And Black Tree says she found out she had an iron deficiency by just a few sip by just a few symptoms. Yeah. And a lot of people have that. Uh, in fact, a lot of crops are deficient in iron. Really interesting how that correlation goes up the food chain, isn't it? And it looks like we're almost to our, uh, our final break here. So, uh, I guess we will catch you guys on the other side of the break. Uh, Marie Bond says, I noticed the difference with the bread. It changed in the nineties. That's when I began having reactions, began investigating how and why. Ah, uh, yes. All right, we'll pick that up on the other side of the break. This is Truth Frequency Radio. No hate. No hype, no fear. Real people, real radio.
Welcome back to Comrades and Farms here on Truth Frequency Radio and also streamed live on iHeart, tuned in and talk stream live. Uh, we're talking about all sorts of stuff, human health primarily here tonight and uh, as it relates to our agricultural systems and other hazards in our food supply chain. And I was trying to get a sort of a general idea on how people feel about having a discussion directly with scientists, farmers, producers, and seed breeders uh, regarding human health, regarding what goes into the food supply chain and stuff. We kind of uh, got off into uh, got off into a deep topic about human health and people were uh, sharing and relating some of their personal stories about health. So uh, I'm going to pick up where Marie was talking about uh, things before the break here. I'm going to uh, just pick up where she where changed in the 90s. That's when I began having reactions and I began investigating how and why. And that's how I learned that they had changed the way they produced wheat. We don't get durin, durum wheat anymore. Uh, they use soft wheat that contains pl- uh, much higher gluten levels. Yes, that whole breeding practice has changed. And there you are, Marie. That's, there's a reason for that, and the reason was yield. It was really, at the end of the day, how much more weight can I produce on the farm in wheat? And those new high-gluten varieties are able to produce a lot more pounds of wheat, but they're not producing the nutrition thing. Uh, John Kempf uh, talked about uh, – actually, no, it wasn't John Kempf. It was David Miller from AEA did a talk maybe a month ago on wheat. Uh, you should go check that out over at the Advancing Eco Agriculture YouTube channel. Um, that was an excellent discussion about how wheat and wheat breeding and wheat production has changed. Anyway, uh, that's when you start having reactions and that changed the way it produced wheat. Uh, okay, I guess I read all that. And Bomber says, uh, and when you get a diagnosis, don't just trust what the doctors tell you. Learn everything you can on it yourself. I had one specialist the gastroenterologist of all doctors, the one who found the damage done. Oh yeah. The enterologist. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Uh, uh, all the damage done inside told me at our last appointment to start adding gluten back into my diet and not to be so strict. He clearly doesn't understand how this disease works. Wow. Marie Bond says, I asked the bread, the bread producer, they use too much salt and refined sugar and other chemicals to keep the bread from spoiling. It actually almost kills me if I eat it. Well, it's interesting, Julia, because also in the 90s, that's when we had a big transition over to genetically modified organism uh, in our country. That that ramped up tremendously then. That's when a lot of, the, uh, a lot of those new uh, GMO strains came out and were introduced into the food chain. And uh, I can relate to that myself. Uh, in sixth grade, my vision went from good vision. Uh, I don't know if it was 20 ever 2020, but it was close to it. Uh, within about a year, it dropped right off to horrible. I think I'm like 80, 20 in one eye and 120 in the other now. Uh, but it was a very short time span that it happened. And I was eating a lot of pasta and that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, you know, I was also around a lot of RF and microwave technology. So that may have been a factor as well. But it always makes me wonder when I think back on that, you know, was a part of that the change in the food chain? And is that what affected my health, especially knowing that, you know, a, a lot of these uh, uh, GM glyphosate tolerant, basically, and knowing that glyphosate locks up manganese and zinc and, uh, you know, many of those trace minerals that are directly related to the eyes, the brain, uh, the heart, the kidneys, the liver, 
a lot of those organs require pretty significant amounts of those trace minerals. And if they're not there, it really messes them up. Again, this goes back to the endocrine system conversation. Anyway, uh, Marie Bond says she can tolerate gluten um, in durum wheat that's imported and she can't use local wheat. So that's, again, that's, there you go. That's uh, another reason to have the conversation with your local farmers if you can. Uh, you know, I don't know what things are like in South Africa regarding that. I don't know if that's even on the table as a discussion, but I'm glad that we're going to be able to have that discussion here on Truth Frequency Radio and on the Pharmacy Seeds Network and on Grow the Farm Up. And uh, I'm glad that a lot of this agricultural, regenerative agriculture and human health is being had on, on many levels, both through NOFA Mass and the Bionutrient Food Association and through Advancing Eco Agriculture and, and uh, John Kempf and that company. Those guys are doing some really awesome uh, leading science as far as regenerative agriculture and uh and curing a lot of our soil health problems, which, you know, are really the, pardon the pun, that, but they are literally the root cause of many of our human health problems. Robert Hayes says, say, Robert Hayes says, since the late 1990s, Australian farmer Colin Sice has been successfully planting a cereal crop onto perennial pasture on his sheep farm during the dormant period using no-till drilling. That is awesome, Robert. Yes, that's the model we need to be going toward more. Bomber says, my because I'm so strict and I am all sick from symptoms of it, the last thing I need now is to add gluten back into my diet and, and yeah, and completely crash your system. I agree. Uh, you know, if that's a hazard for you, I don't, I don't know why a doctor would ever advise you to go back to doing something that was causing problems. And Marie Bond says, I will take a clear picture of the ingredients used and then you will know what people are actually ingesting yeah i know i know if you look a lot of these breads uh or a lot of the food products on our shelves i mean it's not just breads a lot of the food products on our shelves if you look at those ingredients oftentimes those ingredients even look benign but if you know what's behind them boy uh it's a whole different animal uh one real simple example um canola oil uh a lot of the canola oil is being raised with gmo seed and they're using uh glyphosate for herbicide in those fields and of course you know that's ending up in in the, you know that has an effect and it's not a good effect ytfp chris says yes ireland classified bread from subway as cake because it has too much sugar to qualify for bread and for money reasons yeah that makes sense wow they classified it as cake yeah that's how much sugar is in it huh Robert Hayes says, no-till uh, no drilling, a method that uses a drill to sow seeds instead of traditional plow. He calls it pasture cropping, and he gains two crops in this way. Oh, yeah, the no-till drilling is great. Uh, you know, when and where you can apply it on your soils and land, uh, oftentimes you have to do a few things to get your soil health up enough that no-till drilling will work and be effective. You know, at the end of the day, a, f a farmer is kind of stuck between this model of trying to, you know, keep his farm operating economically and also trying to satisfy some of these other equations. Uh, that can be a really tough thing if you do something different. And, and what you've been doing, even if it's not as effective as it has been in previous years, you know, it's, it's hard to look at that and then look at something else that you're unsure of and, and just jump over to a new system. Uh, you always kind of want to test things out in advance. 
And then if your mind is closed to it, then it's even harder to make that switch. So, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense not to eat something that makes you ill, says Mercurius, for sure. Um, yeah, and Bomber has a good point here. By the way, it's the tips of the villi that make it possible for us to digest lactose. So if you have celiac disease and are undiagnosed, you will likely have what doctors want to label as lactose intolerance. And uh, let's just add the other part of the component to that, not just lactose intolerance, also lactobacillus bacteria should be inhabiting higher uh, digestive system, especially around those villi, and that prevents uh, bad bacteria from getting in where people end up with things like candida overgrowth and that sort of thing. And uh, also the lactobacillus acts as sort of an interface to help process things. So there's a, there's a, a se- several other pieces to that uh, synergistic stack that are going on there, I think. And it should be mentioned that because I was diagnosed as lactose intolerant about the same time that my vision started to go downhill. So this points me more and more in that direction. I wonder if I was just eating too much sugar or if maybe uh, maybe there was something going on with the food. I know there was something changing the food supply. I just can't say for sure without, you know, good scientific evidence to support it that, you know, that that was the cause of it. And, of course, being only one person, that's not a great case study, so to speak. Uh, You know, it's one thing to make observations without scientific evidence. I always try to go back to that, uh, that standard to try and, you know, support what I think is going on with good scientific scientific evidence. Anyway, uh, 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 I guess I'm going to pick up where Robert Hayes is saying. He calls it pasture crop, and he gains two crops this way. Perennial wheat from the West Jackson Spartan Land Institute in Kansas is a pretty amazing accomplishment. Uh, there's some future regenerative plant community of the Great Plains, et cetera. Yes, there is, and uh, actually Brad is one of the one of the leaders in that. Um, I know he's been doing some of the regenerative agricultural practice for, I think he said about 10 years now. And, uh, you know, I, we were talking back and forth and he's saying like, I really start feel like I'm starting to really get the hang of it after 10 years. Family has been corn producers, not just corn producers, but actually seed breeders for, you know, a hundred years. Uh, so it's interesting how that, how that works. And it's great to see that that movement is happening. It's sad that uh, a lot of that is coming from farms who are watching their yields crash as a result of the systems that they're using today. Uh, I think what's even sadder, though, is to see somebody whose yields are crashing and their farm is going under economically. And, uh, you know, they still will turn their head away from the regenerative agricultural practices. They won't even look at the model to see if maybe they could find a way to adopt it and use it on their farm or, or, or if it might benefit their farm. Uh, they use, and Marie Bond says in South Africa, they use glyphosate here and malathion. If you know the, if you know the poison, one of the most dangerous. Yes, it is. I don't know a lot about it, but now I've heard it in a very negative connotation several times. Sick. Bomarossa says plastic also leaches and, uh, leaches gluten and cannot be reused safely for someone with celiac disease. Scratch Teflon pans, fork tines, and serrated edges, edges of a knife, cutting boards, etc. All hold gluten. Oh, very interesting. It needs to be replaced. Oh, I didn't realize that. Very interesting, Bomber. 
I had to replace everything. Stainless steel mixing bowls and glass. These can be scrubbed clean unless the metal has deep scratches. Gluten cannot be cleaned from plastic. That makes sense. Plastic is really hard to get anything out of. You know, it like gets embedded in it. Uh, Chris Jarvis says, never knew all this. Glad my doctor is coming in the morning. <laughs> That's going to be some conversation, huh? <laughs> that is why so vital to be tested probably because you don't want to have to go through ourselves safe. Yeah. If you're a screen and discover you do not have celiac disease, then cut gluten out if you wish. You won't have to be so strict about it, but you will feel better. Celiac disease requires strict avoidance of gluten. It goes way deeper and further than what's in your food. I can lick an envelope because there's, I can't lick an envelope because there's gluten in the glue. Wow. Wow. That's an extreme sensitivity, huh? Very interesting. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I guess this is a, just a good brief touch on some of the health problems that people are having around the world. Some of the things that people are noticing, uh, that's really cool that we have, uh, people from South Africa and Canada and the United States and all over the United States in here, uh, sharing their experiences and, and what they've learned, uh, through their own experiences. Um, I hear you, Bomber, you know, I've, uh, I've gone through some of my own journeys as far as my health. Fortunately, I don't have celiac disease. I haven't been through anything quite that drastic, but I know I've come to a point where I've eliminated certain foods from my diet. And, uh, you know, on, on occasion I'll, uh, I'll be at a, a dinner or a party or something and someone will offer me something and, uh, you know, I'll decline it and then they'll try to offer it to me again and I'll politely decline it and then they'll offer it again and I'll politely decline it and then they'll insist that I have some and I'll politely decline it. But like, it's really frustrating when you, you know, finally I'll get to a point where it's like, look, I, I can't eat that. And then it turns into this whole long discussion where I feel like I have to defend myself about it. It's really a weird thing. That, like, you know, if I don't want to eat it, just let me not eat it. Why are you, why are you pushing it on me? I never understood that. But uh, I think people are, you know, just look, food. I mean, let's face it. A lot of our connection is around food, right? We get together for lunch and dinner and breakfast and that sort of thing, or at least most people do. I, uh, I eat alone most of the time here and I don't mind that. I actually kind of prefer it, but, uh, it's interesting how, uh, you know, how our connection around food is so driven by that. And it's easy, uh, it's easy to end up eating something that maybe you shouldn't. And, you know, you hear this a lot around the holiday season, right? You know, uh, the, oh, I, I couldn't resist the cake. I couldn't resist the cookies. I couldn't release, resist that, you know, last, uh, that second helping, that kind of thing, you know. And uh, it goes back to that community connection thing in part, right? I mean, there's certainly the the uh, the diet side of it or the, you know, the, the, the flavor side of it, right? That um, mouth pleasure kind of thing, right? Like, you know, it just tastes so good. It's, it's it's interesting to see how that whole dynamic happens, especially if you go to uh, parties or dinner parties or something. Where he says, "Yes, very true." And Bob says, "I have been informed that because I don't absorb my vitamins and nutrients the way a healthy person can, I will not live a long life. I really struggle to get my number to get my numbers up now." Yeah, that uh, that's a tough place to be in, Bomber, and uh, you know, I I hope that you're 
focusing on uh, on biology as as well with that. And sounds like you're very aware of gut health, and I know we've had quite a few in depth conversations about gut health and and health and healing and recovery and nutrition and all that. And uh, we, I mean, we've we've definitely dived into some very deep discussion about that. I just hope that you're able to uh, to you know get that sorted into because uh, that's a, a huge part of it. There's actually an excellent YouTube video. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it's it's on the the they're doing a huge study right now on the microbiome of humans, and they're correlating the microbiome using some awesome statistical analysis stuff. Uh, they're correlating that to human health and to uh, you know diseases and symptoms of diseases, and they're finding that he, that microbiome is so so incredibly important. In fact, uh, if you know who Jordan Peterson is, his daughter Michaela also has autoimmune issues, as does Jordan Peterson. And uh, I know both of those guys were on basically a strictly meat, salt, and water diet for quite some time as a result of their uh, immune system problems. And Michaela put out a video back in the spring. Um, she basically was inoculating her her gut system with a certain range or group of bacteria. Uh, I, she's got a video on, it's uh, Michaela Peterson. Just look her channel up on YouTube. But she's got a video on, on inoculating her gut with a very specific set of bacteria and it cured a huge, huge portion of her autoimmune disease problems she was having. And you know that goes back to how important that biology is. I bang on about that in soil all the time. <laughs> Mercurius says Petersons. It's because they are Canadian, obviously. <laughs> ah, we love our Canadian friends. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it goes back to it goes back to that biology. That biology ends up being the interface, uh, no matter what the nutrient processing biological system is, so to speak. So in soil, soil. Plants can't access the nutrients in the soil without that biology acting as the interface, whereas the soil is the digestive tract of the plant. The same thing applies in humans in our gut system. You know, uh, if our gut biology isn't right, we can't properly digest and absorb those nutrients. And in fact, if you look at ruminant animals like a cow, you know, a cow's got four stomachs, right? You would think with four stomachs that they could actually eat something and just digest it. But none of that happens without the biology of the cow's gut. And, uh, you know, they don't get any of their nutrition directly from the food they eat. They get their nutrition from the biology processing the food that they eat. That's a big part of why they chew their cut and they have those multiple stomachs. Those are basically an opportunity for the biology to make that nutrition available to the cow. So same concept applies uh, no matter what the... Um, no matter what the biologic is, is what I'm trying to say. And uh, Bomber says, uh, taking care of yourself will just keep you alive longer and better quality of life, but I'm still dealing with other health issues. So keeping this contained is just one thing I can do for myself. Yeah. And she says, there is a direct, a direct correlation between gut health and your mental health and well-being. Yes, there is lots and lots of, there are lots of studies out about that and lots of excellent videos here on YouTube and other places about that, about uh, how uh, mental health goes, ties back directly to nutrition and gut health. And um, 
as we go forward in the next 10 or 15 years here and agriculture starts to shift and our understanding and our ability to collect data and do statistical analysis uh, comes up, this whole model is going to shift dramatically. And uh, it's funny, I, uh, I have a friend, uh, my friend Brian, who is analysis right now and brian actually works down at the sloan kettering uh institute uh as 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 primarily doing statistical analysis for sloan kettering regarding cancer studies and every time i talk to brian we have some of the most interesting discussions and actually brian's going to be a guest here on the show at some point we're going to be talking a little bit about that side of things uh statistical analysis and uh and and uh, how man how Managing data can help us make better decisions in the future. Uh, that's a really, really condensed version of what we're going to be talking about. But uh, it, that's going to be a really interesting discussion. So if you're interested in statistical analysis, data collection, trends, and studying where the future is going to go, uh, that's going to be an awesome discussion. I don't know when we're going to have that. He and I have uh, have to get together, and both of us are very busy right now, but we have to get together and hash out but. Um, but I think you'll find that very interesting also. And, uh, you know, that ties directly in for me to my greenhouse here. You know, uh, you, at the end of the day, I could collect all that data about all those temperature sensors. But if I don't have a way to process that data and look at it in a meaningful way, I might as well not have the data. And I, I think that same thing applies to uh, agricultural systems and human health systems as well. Uh, the more data we can collect and the better we can analyze and represent that data, the better we can recognize trends and, and uh, you know, different inputs having different effects on the system. Bomber says, I'll be doing a reset soon at, uh, as soon as I use up my other grosses here. Strict meat, cheese, and egg diet for a month. However, I'm allergic to eggs, so it'll just be meat and cheese for me. That sounds like a tasty diet, actually, Bomber. Although, I can see how I can see how you would miss. See Doctor Martin Clinic as well. She says. And, uh, Bomber has, says she has a an egg allergy, so the only eggs she can eat are quail eggs. And Chris Jarvis says, I've been I've been having problems with eggs lately. They make me sick. Interesting. Bomber says, I can't eat any part of eggs without going into anaphylactic shock. Oh, wow. That's a bad allergy. Uh... And Robert Hayes says, your friend Brian sounds like an interesting guest. Oh, he definitely will be a uh, friend. And uh, I, every time we get together, like, I don't know, for most people when they get together, if you get together and have a beer with a friend, you're probably just chatting about politics or life or, you know, stuff like that. Brian and I get together and we have a couple of beers and we're talking about this kind of stuff, statistical analysis. We get really, really into it. Uh, Brian's really smart. Uh, really well studied and a really interesting person. So yeah, he's going to be an awesome guest to have on. I'm really looking forward to him and uh, I'm glad to see that uh, you guys are interested as well. 
Well, it looks like we have about a minute left before the break. And uh, so I just want to say, if you haven't checked out uh, Grow the Farm Up, go check out Grow the Farm Up on YouTube. That's uh, Brad Lauber. Uh, he's a regenerative agricultural seed producer here in the United States, one of the last standing independent seed producers. He's the guy the, uh, having this conversation, and we want as many consumers to weigh in on this as we can get. Uh, you know, We really want to hear from the consumer so we can figure out wh- what you want to see on your plate what you're concerned about and uh you know and if there are concerns that are, aren't valid we can address them and we can talk about them and if the concerns that are valid we can we can make that information available to the farmers and producers in this country and especially to people like Brad who are the seed producers these guys are breeding the future of the seed that will be used to produce your food in the future so you have an opportunity here to talk to scientists and seed breeders and producers about what the future of your food is going to look like and I'm really excited about that discussion. That's probably going to take several episodes. It might take many episodes to uh, to get through all that. It's going to be a complex conversation, but we're going to try and peel that onion back and really get into it. Wow, that's it. We're already up to listening to the uh, Comrades and Farms here on Truth Frequency Radio and also on the Pharmacy Seas Network YouTube channel. Thank you to my watchers and subscribers and viewers. I really appreciate your support and your interaction. Look forward to seeing you next Tuesday, 12 a.m., uh, 12 a.m. Wednesday, Tuesday, 9 p.m. Hi, my name is Ella, and I'm 10 years old. I'm one of the millions of children born to parents suffering from the sheeple virus. Symptoms include the inability to think for oneself, the attention span of a goldfish, and a strong belief in government and the mainstream media. It is estimated that one out of every two children are being raised by parents infected with the sheeple virus. But there is a cure. Cure. For as little as 19 cents per day, you can become a TFR supporter and help children like me get their daily dose of truth. Together, we will make sure every child has protection from deception. <laughs>